Now we will shift to our panel discussion and let me briefly introduce our panelists who have come here from various parts of the state and nation. Uh, Reverend Dr. Kalabachali is the Director of Justice Ministries for the Great Plains Conference, which is Kansas and Nebraska for the United Methodist Church. He uh, flew in last night. He and I have known each other for 15 years. We served together at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church in Dallas, Texas. At the time, it was the third largest United Methodist Church in the country, 6,000 members. And we worked together every single day. I was with him as he was dating his wife, who is now the senior pastor of a, um, of a notable church in Wichita, Kansas. And I've seen them have a beautiful daughter, and um, I've seen his ministry grow. He will soon take the leadership as senior pastor of another great church in Wichita. Um, he's just um, a great leader for the denomination. He was recently elected as a part of the delegation for General Conference from the Great Plains uh, area. Would you help me welcome, please, Dr. Chelly? Reverend Donetta Peaks has been a, a minister and a leader in our conference, the West Ohio Conference, for many, many years. She started a, a brand new church start at Easton Town Center, brand new fresh opportunity to, to bring people into a church at the mall. That was very, very cool. She um, later moved on to recently, within the last couple of years, become the director of the Office of Ministry for the West Ohio Conference based in Columbus, which means she helps oversee 1,200 pastors across the state in terms of um, their qualifications, etc. She has a terrific staff there in Columbus, but uh, she also was a part of my church in East Columbus, Aetna United Methodist Church, as often as she could be. We became the, um, the fastest growing Methodist church in Ohio for three years in a row, partly because of her friendship and her leadership. Help me welcome, please, Reverend Danetta Peaks. Now, Dr. Andrew Sung Park and I have known each other for so many years, I'm not going to even say how many years it is, because it's a very, very long time. He was my first professor of systematic theology. He um, is the author of many books. He is, he is respected all around the world as a noted systematic theologian. He represents the Korean community, but he also represents the faith community. Um, one of his very first um, books was called The Wounded Heart of God, where he talks about this concept of Han, uh, which is a Korean concept about God suffering when we suffer. It was a groundbreaking work. Uh, he's respected all around the world, and he's a mentor to me for many, many years, and I'm just so grateful that he is here from United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio. Would you help me give a welcome to Dr. Andrew Sung Park? All right. Uh, Dr. Charlie, would you begin with a few comments, and then we'll go to Reverend Peaks and Dr. Park, and uh, then we'll take questions. Thank you, and uh, it's, it's great to be here. Um, uh, I was telling Steve how blessed you all have um, to have him as your pastor. He's a great uh, disciple of Jesus Christ, a great leader, and, and just honored to be here. And So my, my first comments um, that I would like to share tonight my uh, perspectives of uh, the issue of race and reconciliation is shaped by the example of uh, South Africa, uh, with, uh, particularly the leadership that uh, the Archbishop Desmond Tutu uh, played. Each time there is 
racial violence, as we have seen it throughout uh, the history of the United States, the community or the country has options. And one of those options uh, maybe uh, is to avoid and just say, let's not talk about it. Eventually, things will just get better. So that's one option or that's one scenario. Another scenario is those who were once uh, oppressed, brutalized, uh, and treated so unfairly to take an opportunity and revenge. That's also another option. Another option could be, um, let's just fix all the laws. Let's make it right. So you, uh, and the senator has talked a lot about that, where you, you work so hard, and I, I believe you, you need to change the laws. But oftentimes, people think just because we change the laws, everything is right. Unfortunately, what we have seen in the United States in the recent years, that has not been the case. And, I, and to me, that's where the church has missed an opportunity to, to serve and lead. Because when you change laws, when you do all these other things, Oftentimes we do that by, you know, there is a lot of uh, words fighting. There is a lot of debate, you know. And, and when you think about a debate, oftentimes to debate comes down to, I need to shoot down your arguments to show how stupid you are. So that my idea, my reasoning can be at the top this, this is not something new uh, in the 17th, 18th century with the, uh, philosophers um, like uh, René Descartes, who was a French philosopher. You can hear my French there. Uh, the whole idea of a cogito ego sum, je pense donc je suis. I think, therefore I am. In other words, anything else doesn't matter. Oh, all that matters is how I think and what I think. So the affordable care is not a big deal because I don't think it is. Even, even though it helps so many, but I don't think it is. So that's, that school of thought has gone on for too long. But there is another way to think about it. John Mbiti, for instance, a Kenyan theologian, says... I am as an individual because we are as a community here. And because we are as a community, therefore, I am. This goes, uh, 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 Dr. Andrew, to your idea of when one of us suffers, we are all suffering. And we can't address issues in the concept of this uh, uh, community uh, with debate. Instead, we can do that through dialogue. Now, when you talk about dialogue, dialogue doesn't mean you have people, uh, you know, I'm originally from Zambia, grew up in the Congo and educated in Zimbabwe and Dallas and Missouri. If, if you say dialogue, it's not about me speaking to people only who understand me. 
We are having a dialogue tonight because we have a politician here, we have ministers here, we have administrators of the church, we have academia, and that's why we are having a dialogue. And a dialogue is not about how eloquent you can be. A dialogue begins by how well we can listen. And, and, and so I ask myself, in the United States, we have been fighting to make the laws, to change the law. And I ask myself, how many times have we taken time to have a dialogue? In South Africa, black South Africans <coughs> in particular had to choose whether they could lead by having a dialogue or whether they could use violence to make things right that were motivated by racial violence. When will the time come in the United States when the church will say, we will take the leadership role and create a sacred environment when we can have dialogue, when we can hear each other's stories as painful as those stories can be. You know what? Until we hear the stories of brokenness, until we hear the painful stories, sometimes we cannot imagine what a peaceful future could look like. And, and, and the times at the intersection of our brokenness, intersection of our stories of brokenness and, 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 and painful stories, at that intersection is where we find dialogue, and is where we find God's peace. Not peace because of pity, but peace because of justice. And, and so I challenge all of us, particularly people of faith in this country, to create space for dialogue. Dialogue not where we dictate how people should tell their stories, but dialogue when we are, we are willing we are willing and we are humble enough, humble enough to listen, to hear. You know, Micah 6, 8 says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? We can do all the justice. We can do all these debates. But do we have the humility, the meekness, as Matthew says, to listen to the stories, especially the stories of the most vulnerable among us, the most vulnerable in our society? And, 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 and are we willing to take that experience to begin to look at the scripture, to begin to look at reality, not because we think, therefore we are, but because of their realities. Can that reality help us see scripture and the newspaper in a different way? Gusto Gonzalez, the Cuban theologian, says, we shouldn't ask what the Bible says about the poor. Instead, we should ask, what do the, the poor find in the Bible that is good news for the rest of us? Friends, what do the people who are suffering from violence, from poverty, what do they find in the Bible? 
That is good news for, uh, for all of us. What do the Asians who were killed in Atlanta, what do the African-American men killed somewhere else in Atlanta and other places, what do their families and these uh, beautiful people, what do they find in the Bible that is good news for the rest of us? Are we willing to listen? Are we humble enough to allow these stories to transform our own story. And so I invite you for a dialogue with humility, but also with the willingness to listen. Thank you. Thank you so much. So giving honor to God, it's a privilege to be here today. Um, Thank you to Dr. Stephen Swisher and to the Epworth Church and the Toledo community for um, opening up to this dialogue. Senator Yuko, I really appreciate your words. Very helpful. And Dr. Charlie and both Dr. Park, we just appreciate your wisdom and being able to lend it to this conversation. So thank you all. I'd just like to lift up um, some of the um, things that have already been addressed from a, a different perspective and it's so helpful to hear all of the challenges that we have in front of us. And some challenges are directly related to racism and to the disparities that it causes. And then the other side of that is um, helping us to understand that if we're going to um, really approach racism and being able to um, eradicate it, that we've got to really dig deep into understanding other people, people who are not like us, and then moving into a place of acceptance. And it takes a long time to do that work. I think there, the studies show that it's about an hour a week to, for a whole year of, of really embracing somebody to move a little bit. So for all of us, we've got to continue to have these conversations to continue to engage um, cultures that are not like our own so that we can learn them, understand them, and accept them. (coughs) And the more that we do that, the more we'll be in a position to be able to help others and to be able to to navigate our way through the challenges. So... (coughs) Sorry, I have a little flower allergy. (laughs) But we really appreciate just this opportunity. And so as we look at our cultural competency and our ability to um, navigate our way forward, we encourage you to just continue to do this work. Reading, um, engaging other cultures, having conversations, learning them so that you can embrace them and really be able to accept them. And as we do that, as we really engage people, we begin to learn that we're more alike than we are different. And when we really understand our similarities, um, we're less likely to mistreat people who are like us. So I just encourage you to continue these kinds of conversations and other opportunities that allow you to engage cultures and people so that we can all be stronger and know each other better and to be able to lift one another up as we continue to do this important work and to help heal our communities and our nation and our world. So thank you for this privilege, and I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Park.
First of all, uh, thank you very much for your coming, all of you. And Dr. Swisher, we are just so proud of you, especially United Theological Seminary. He's our alum, well-known, and also Dr. Reverend Picks. It's a, she is a, she, she, we educate people. She ordained people, in a way. Sorry. <laughs> It's a good combination. I'm, just, I'm, so, I'm proud of them, personally. And also, I know how precious time is. You're allowing for this. You look saint to me, because <laughs> this topic is a difficult topic. In spite of that, you are here. Thank you. And I will tell you one thing. You will be all all right. and relax, because God is alive, so don't despair, don't depress. And Senator Yoko, I appreciate your message. I can see your warm and kind Christian heart. And I'm going to honor that, really, that what you said is very important. Let's see. I want to just uh, say this, uh, if you're ready. Do you see this uh, uh, iceberg? Human being, like an iceberg, we have uh, three tiers. One is mind. Mind is a tip of an iceberg, one-tenth of an iceberg. And then spirit, that's a nine-tenths, our spirit. And then Another one is a body. Body is a manifestation of a mind and spirit. According to the Bible, we have t h e s e three, mind, body, spirit. What moves people? Not the mind. Mind it controls only one-tenth of our awareness. Nine-tenths is a spirit. Freud calls Unconsciousness is a subconscious. It's submerged under the water. So we cannot see it. But that should be moved to defeat racism. We have to work on all three levels: physical, mental, spiritual. But as a senator mentioned, prayer. is a realm of a spirit. Without changing spirit, this country will suffer from racism, sexism, classism, all kinds of discriminations. So crucial is a church work. And I appreciate all the senators and congresspeople working for changing all policies, but that's all external. You have to go deeper. Unless people really change their heart, they do many different things through their prejudice, their racial myth, stereotypes. We all have stereotypes. We have to remove them. So I'm going to just briefly say this. I know time is up. 
I actually have a one full paper. <laughs> If you are interested, you can read this. I can send it to you. Briefly, I mentioned uh, physical level. The second, second diagram, please. Next one. Or is it the only one, maybe? Oh, okay. I, okay, that's all right. I will just explain then with the words. Physically, we need police department change. So Camden, New Jersey is the worst city in terms of uh, racial violence and crimes. That was number one next to New York. But after changing community policing system, that from regular policing system, they changed into community policing. After that, that's 2013, and after that, crime rate, murder rate, dropped from 65 one year to 25. Why? This Scott, he's a police officer, chief uh, officer, he said, we have to let go all these police officers and that they rehired all of them by educating them. We are not warriors. We are not controllers. We are, basically he said, we are servers. His term is a very actually that um, moving from this very tough term We are kind of serving carers rather than controlling others. With that kind of education, he changed the whole whole city. Still, it is going very strong. I hope all the cities in the United States adopt this uh, community policing system. then there is a hope. Police officers work together. They, first of all, they introduce themselves when they are hired to, to the people, and they knock the doors and introduce themselves. Very powerful. So they have a friendship with the people. Second level is what I call superordinate vision or superordinate goal. that is working together among all different ethnic people. There's a story, uh, even though it's long, I will briefly say this is a very important experiment. They brought junior hires into summer camp, divided into two, and then one is rattlers, the other one is eaglers. Can you hear me all right? Okay, if echoes, if you're not here, just raise your hand, then I will, I will do my best to say again. They divided, and then they created the tension and conflict. So they are fighting, they are raiding each other's camps, destroying everything of enemies. And then, this is the experiment. They want to reconcile them. 
They brought together and they watched the movie together. They worshiped together. They have a holy communion together. All kinds of stuff. Still, they are fighting with each other. They do not forgive each other. But strangely enough, the water truck, without water, they cannot survive. Had a flat tire from the, from, at foothill, so they had to push it over the hill. One group couldn't push it. Only two groups, they worked together, then they couldn't push. They did. After that, <laughs> they changed. They are not enemies anymore. Wow, without them, we couldn't have water. So they became closer. And then there was a water leak, leaking. They couldn't find. All of them were not trying to find the water leaking. They did. They came together. That's what the sociologists call superordinate vision. Superordinate means a superior vision or goal. So when communities find some kind of a superordinate goals together, then it can really fire up people's cooperations. All ethnic people, there's no, no one who is not ethnic. All, we are all ethnics. By the way, before I forget, you are my 50th cousin. We are all 50th cousins. If you see the blood, it's real. Uh, there's something else I want to tell you, but I will stop there. Um, we have to really know each other and stand under each other. That's understanding. Understanding means stand under, not above. When you stand under, you can really see value of the person. And the second, second one is this. We have to really do something about our legal system. United States is adopting retributive justice system. That means there's a crime, then I will just read it for you. Retributive justice and then restorative justice. Restorative justice system we have to adopt. I will explain what they are. Retributive justice, crime is a violation of a law and state. Violation creates guilt. Justice requires the state to determine, blame, and impose pain. That's a punishment. Central focus is offenders getting what they deserve. But restorative justice, this is a Christ principle. Crime is a violation of people and obligations. Violations create obligations. Justice involves victims, offenders, community members, in the effort to put things right. Central focus, victim needs and offender responsibility for repairing harms. So you do not go to court if it's a small one, big one too. You bring victims and offenders together. There's a mediator, so mediate without judges, without lawyers. 
So they repent of their sins, crimes, to, to the, all the victims, and victims are healed inside. All these criminals, they try to recompense, pay back what they did wrong and the community service. There are many beautiful stories behind this. Colorado is the first state in the United States adopted this system. Ohio is trying. I hope with the senator's help, we can really push this. So I really hope that all the churches are educated about this restorative justice system. United States and Korea, few countries are still using retributive justice. All Europeans, Canadians, they adopted restorative justice system. It drops the cost of a legal process a lot. So government saves a lot of money. State saves a lot of money. Cities saves a lot of money. Why? You don't need all this expensive legalization processes. And last one is a spiritual dimension. You know, 1906, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the United States. Are you familiar with the Azusa Street revival? Yes. Azusa Street in Los Angeles, there's a, one pastor. His name is William Seymour. He prayed, and then the Holy Spirit fell upon, upon him and all others. He was an African-American pastor. It doesn't matter, white, black, yellow, all gathered together. They need the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit together. They just gave their lives to evangelize the city and other countries. So most of them went, to, went out uh, as a missionaries. They gave lives for higher, deeper purpose of their lives. I see when Holy Spirit falls upon people, they can speak other people's languages, like Acts chapter 2. We really understand. We really stand under each other. You hear each other. You listen to each other. So I just pray that Your prayer, Senator mentioned prayer, when you pray to God, that has a tremendous power. You and God are majority. You are not one. But on the other hand, as cousins, we have to really help each other so that we can accept each other as we are. And also, we have to really see what we can be, what my friend, my brother, sister can do, can, 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 can do in the future. So always, always we should be futuristic, see beyond what we are now. So racial diversities are not disastrous conditions. God's blessings. So we can see all beauty of a different cultures and different ideas, different traditions, and move toward that direction. In Christ, 
in the Holy Spirit, we can see other people's destinies. We try to help all the way to to help them fulfill their destinies. That is the Christian community. That's the church. It's not for me. I'm here to uphold others, make others truly Christ. So racism is issue, but it can be blessing when people change s There's a beautiful story of how racists became pastors from our president, Kent. He was a bodyguard of Martin Luther King Jr., so he had a wonderful story how this white police officer became UMC pastor. If you are interested, you let me know. I will tell you that story. <laughs> so don't give up. In the Holy Spirit, we have hope. We have a tomorrow together. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Park, and to our panelists. And now we're going to move to our Director of Mission and Community Outreach, Jenny Vansel, who has a microphone, and she's going to be our facilitator for questions, both in person and all of those who are tuning in live tonight all across the country. They've been typing in questions as we've been talking. So, Jenny, thank you for helping us. Just raise your hand and... Jenny and our friends, therefore she asked what I was going to ask. (laughs) We're of like mind. Um, We've done this often, nothing this unique here at Epworth, but throughout our country, for all my life, I'm 83, we've gone over and over this again and again. And I'm so happy that I'm not sitting in, which is a basically all-white church, but I'm sitting with all of us tonight. Um, It's very special to have this happen here at Epworth. The question is, which we, well, I'll be honest, I've been the CEO of the YWCA. Therefore, our mission is... One, elimination of racism by whatever means. That was done in the 60s. This country, I feel at my age, is spinning backwards. I'm heartbroken. I am heartbroken. What can we do as a group here? What can my church do here? What do we need to do? I'd love to have some dialogue on that. Was that, that to a specific, specific panelist, panelist or everybody? everybody. Go, Go ahead. ahead. All right. So uh, this is Charlie again. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, first, I will say, if we really knew the bullet point to that, oh, my goodness, we would have been shouting and praising the Lord. You know what? The assumption that I always have, first of all, 
people always think, you know, people are more like my color or, you know, Dr. Andrew and anybody. Like, people think we just want to talk about this all the time. To tell you the truth, we don't. We want it over. And if it were up to us, it would have been over years ago before maybe I was even born. Because it's, it's so heavy. So we really don't know. But we, we also know avoiding is not help deal with this. It is only kept this under the table until we're in a community where we are not ashamed to now, you know, imagine even a different uh, dinner table, you know, you know, I always use, you know, someone who say, Uncle Tom, is, Uncle Tom is a good man. And then he will make some racial, ch- racially charged comments. And everybody at the table just f- freezes. They know Uncle Tom. Nobody would want to say anything. But also what that conveys to Uncle Tom is that everybody's in agreement with me. Well, imagine if one of the people there would say, Uncle Tom, I can't believe you'll say that. The way this family has raised me is different than the words you just say. I am embarrassed. I am ashamed that you of all people say that. There is a way we can respond that is not about shaming Uncle Tom but also speaking truth to their behavior. So, to my point I said earlier, I'm I'm grateful for people who carry the the message, Black Lives Matter, and they will march. But I'm also grateful for people in a setting of family who will say, you know, I want to talk to you about what you just said. We also need to address, as much as we are changing the law, we also need to change the culture. There is a culture of racial violence. And we don't address culture with legislation. We address culture with using another another element of culture, which is language, and begin to have that dialogue with people in a compassionate way, I love you, you, Senator, you use that word. You know, compassion, in other words, come, suffer, come, and passion, the passion of Jesus, right? The suffering of Jesus. In other words, when you say these mean-spirited words, I'm going to suffer with you, I'll make it comfortable for both of us. I am so encouraged Many of my white colleagues and white friends, they've started having those little conversations about suffering. In other words, they've started, many of you have started sharing into this suffering. It's us together. We are, not I think I am, but we are as a community. And when one of us suffers, the body should suffer together. And in that way, we can stand under, understand, I love that. And, and so, 
it, this is one idea, but there are many ways all of us can contribute to this dialogue. You know, if I could add, is this on? Yeah, it's on. Uh, add something to that. You know, we, we know we're not going to get the job done in Columbus. You know we're not going to get the job done in Washington because, you know, we just haven't. And unfortunately, over 25 years ago, the Supreme Court ordered the Ohio General Assembly to fix school funding. It was called the DeRolf decision. It was the first time it went to the Supreme Court. We didn't do anything. So they took it to court the second time. And the second time the courts ruled, the Ohio General Assembly had to fix school funding. We didn't do a thing. So it went a third time and a fourth time. Now the funny part is, Bob Cup, who was one of our Supreme Court justices back in those days, is now Speaker of the House. Okay? He can, as my button said, do something. Okay? He put it on the floor of the House last year. They passed it in the House. They sent it to the Senate. It did nothing. So now he has reintroduced it. It was his bill last year, General Assembly. This year he gave it to two other legislators in the House. They have made it part of the budget. Now, the budget is something we just can't ignore. We have to pass the budget or else nothing gets done in the state of Ohio. So we have to pass the budget. The education bill is part of that budget. I would be willing to bet my life that, that when we finally passed the budget bill this year, that there will be nothing in there about that school funding mechanism. So we know our politicians are just not getting it done, and I'm embarrassed to say that because I'm one of them. But trust me, being the Senate minority leader of eight in a 33-member Senate is not fun. They don't need our votes for anything. So what, it, what does it come down to? Who can make the difference? And I've said this and I've maintained this for a long time. It's our families. It's the parental units. It's the grandparents who help raise our children. It's our churches. It's our pastors. You know, it wasn't too long ago, about four years ago, I lost my chief of staff because of sexual harassment. We lost one of our colleagues in the Senate because of sexual harassment. And when the Senate president and I did our end-of-the-year recap, the TV commentator said, I'm going to hit you guys with a hard question right off the bat. Talk about all the sexual harassment in Columbus and why you feel it's okay that you can just pass over it. And we, we don't feel like it's okay to just pass over it. We have to do something. We terminated a state senator. I lost my chief of staff. I said, but let me just say one thing. If everybody in the Ohio General Assembly, all 132 members, all 99 state reps, and all 33 senators had my mom and dad for their mom and dad, we would not be having this conversation. <laughs> I, I fully agree. Can you hear me? Okay, now. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, we have to really pass the educational bill. And education is very important. We have to educate our children. Only one-third of our population, our population, is young people. The future of the United States and other countries, 100% belongs to them, one-third. We have to educate them. Education is very important. But educational system should be changed. Presently, we are using retributive education system in California, Oakland, Santa Rosa. They all adopted 
restorative education, three strike out kind of a education system they used in the past, but now, no. We just changed it. One of my students lost uh, her, uh, his uh, son's uh, education in high school because he did something wrong. This uh, West Virginia school system kicked him out. He didn't have any place to go. He took the, my course on this racism and he made a diagram. I have that diagram. He presented to people and the supervisors really liked it. They changed West Virginia education system. No more retributive, no more punishment. But how do we restore everyone? Every person is important, not just majority. So we have to really care for one. The last system I was using is a Jesus system. He left 99 to find one. The lost sheep. Anybody who are behind, we have to lift that person up. My good friend, you may know this, this person, Heidi Baker. She's an amazing person. She is in Mozambique. Her model is this. Stop for the one. She has a PhD from Oxford, but he, she gave that up to serve the community which doesn't have any education system. But her belief is this, we have to stop for the one. If we stop from there, even though we may not overcome racism in our lifetime, process will be honored by God. Process is very important. I think we, we are in spiritual warfare. It doesn't end that quickly, but faithfully, through prayer, through education, we, we just fight against racism. Racism is an original sin, according to James Cohn, black theologian. Without dealing with that, we cannot proclaim salvation so easily. Don't, in, don't jump into the conclusion of salvation. See the problem. Original sin of America is racism. I think we have time for one more question because time has gotten away from us. But if there's one more question and then we'll wrap up. I'm not so much sure that this is a question but an observation. And tell me if I'm wrong. We all appreciate so much you being here and you bringing us gifts of your spiritual walk. I... personally feel that, and I'm trying to do this by studying the Word of God daily, as a result, I am changed. I will continually change. But also, it's more of a challenge, as we all know, in this godless world, that we have to be an example, we have to be strong, we have to go out there and stand for the Lord with love and humility, so that when God brings us people, We know how to relate to them humbly, and it's one person at a time. So, in fact, you've given me a lot of hope to see your walk and to strengthen mine. Thank you. Uh, I know that our speakers 
and many of you have other things to do this evening, but they might be able to stay around and answer one or two questions as we're, as we're leaving today. But I want to thank them again. Senator Yuko, Dr. Charlie, Reverend Peaks, Dr. Park, thank you all. Would you help me give a very warm And we will, we will archive this broadcast at Epworth.com. And so if you'd like to tune in or share with your friends or family, please do so because this is very helpful for all of us. And I want to thank each of you for being a part, giving up an hour and a half of your Saturday to come be with us and to tune in as well as be here in person. And I'm just so thankful for Epworth United Methodist Church who are just willing, whenever I come up with an idea, to say, you know what? We've never done that before, but let's try it. Let's do it. Let's be relevant in the community. And so I thank you. Let me give you a thank you. And can we have a closing prayer? My friends, we go now in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, knowing that we are all in this together, that we're all cousins, we're all interrelated. We rise and we fall together. And so may we all elevate one another, lift each other, give a hand of kindness and support along the way. As together we, with your help, God, truly do make this world, this state, this community a better place for all people. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for being here tonight and God bless you.